Heads up, the Bookish Society is open for registration from now until the end of October. And this semester includes free books. Thanks to the global book shortage, there is no better time to try us out. After that, we won't be opening again until March when we register for next fall. Head over to thebookishsociety.com for more details. Hi, I'm Jen Naughton, and this is Bookish Society Secrets. In case you stumbled upon us, here's the sitch. We give you the inside dish, spoilers included, about the latest and greatest new books for kids and teens. Because I live by the mantra, so many books, so little time, I'm using this corner of the internet to boost authors and their stories. Hi, everybody. Today, I'm chatting with Laura Ojeda Melcher, the author of Missing Oakley, which is out now. Woot woot. Mm-hmm. Hey, Laura. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for joining me. Um, do you want to give me your elevator pitch on this book? Yeah, so this is the story of two Cuban-American sisters who live in Montana and have a secret tradition. And one day the tradition goes terribly wrong. And uh, the main character has to deal with the fallout from that and all of the secrets surrounding what happened. Yeah, this book is unapologetically sad. I mean, I'm all in because life often is very sad. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a place for these kinds of books in middle grade. We need books that show um, grieving is messy and that life, um, even bullying <laughs> goes on. So what do you say when people don't want to hand this to their kids? So I haven't even really had a chance to address this. So I'm grateful for the chance because people have said like, this book is too sad. It's, it's, you know, depressing, it's hopeless. And it's funny because I don't think of it as hopeless exactly, but I can definitely, it is sad. It's very sad. (laughs) And what's interesting is that when I was little, I was very scared of things like this happening, things that happen in the book happening to my own sister or to my parents to the point where if they were late for pickup at school, I would just start crying. I was just sure that they were dead. I was sure they'd been in a car accident. And I was seven, I was eight, nine, 10. I was very young. And when I went to the library, I would intentionally seek out stories that were very sad or traumatic because it almost helped me prepare for what if I was in that situation. Like I would go to the chicken soup for the soul and go to the death and dying section and just like read all those stories. I was very terrified yet drawn to grief. So I guess I would say that kids, you know, some kids are like that. They're very anxious and worried and, these books can almost help them because they affirm that these things happen and you will survive them one way or another with support from, you know, your community or your family or from books that are right. sad. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. I agree. I was a very anxious child too. I remember like 
writing, like I was like eight or nine and we were mm-hmm. going on an airplane and I was like, okay, so if the airplane crashes, oh yeah, right. And I had like a crayon, like will, you know, like <laughs> my brother can have my teddy bear. Yeah. And I hid it in a book because I was like, well, someone will find it. Yeah. Someone will read the book. Someone will read the book and find my, you know, my will of owning nothing. (laughs) Right. I'm still like that. I'm still nervous every time I get on a plane. I'm still a very anxious person, but um, yeah, I was very anxious as a, as a kid. And another thing is that I, my family tried their best, but they were often, you know, a little annoyed with how worried I was about things. And so I think that stories of these things happening confirms that they happen, that there's a reason, you know, for the anxiety. And it just gave me a channel to kind of live vicariously through those characters or people in a story and breathe. And it made me feel less anxious somehow, just knowing because books have always comforted me because the characters in them go through things. And then when I go through them, I think, well, these characters they went through this first and now I'm going through it just like, you know, the character. So it was almost comforting in a way to read about tragedy. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And so although there's, there's a lot going on with this book, like if you were, if you were going to trigger warning this book, you'd have a, you you could have a whole array. Um, And people have. (laughs) I know. But you know, (laughs) the thing is though, is that that's what I think makes it so great is that, that, you know, very rarely in life does only, you're never just having one thing happening, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, if you have a kid whose parents get divorced, it doesn't mean that that's the only bad thing that happens to them that year. You know, there could, there's still going to be a bully or there's still going to be, you know, having anxiety or learning how to do something or, you know, like it's always more than one thing. And I think it's like, it is comforting to see, you know, a character that's like handling real life on all these fronts. And yeah, and really it was such a page turner. I mean, like I was on chapter six before I even looked up from like the first time (laughs) I opened the cover, right. I was just like all in because it's just, it's going and you can, the reader can feel it's like, you know, riding a wave, right. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're like, Oh, Oh no. Oh, Okay. (laughs) You know, it's like you just know. Yeah. You know, and I think even kids who haven't read as many books are going to be able to tell right away. It's like it captures your interest right Mm -hmm. away and you're just in it and you know these people so well right away. I mean, like after this bad thing happens, like I knew how devastated her parents were going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, of course, as a parent, I'm like, you know, heartbroken for them and everything. But the thing is, is that you could tell that, you know, they're a family that loves each other and they're just torn apart by this. Right. And, you know, siblings just they can be like your best and worst friend at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like everything that happened in this book is like just very true to life. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like, I mean, everything from, you know, especially like I I wrote in my notes, like Riverday, right? Like everybody in their family has like weird things that only they do. And it's usually you and your siblings and not necessarily your whole family. Right. Because kids are alone on their their own at whatever given time. And you always have weird things 
that you do together. And it's so nice to see that in a, you know, in a story. Mm -hmm. Um, So did you have something that inspired this? Like, did you have anything like that in your life or did you just think that part up? So kind of, I definitely had games and little traditions with my younger sister that we would play um, when we were bored and we were very protective of each other's secrets. So we, you know, we would keep each other's secrets and we wouldn't, you know, tell on our, tell our parents those things, but also just like the river crossing thing. I really don't know where the parents were when this was happening, but we did go visit a family friend who had a cabin on the bitter river in Montana and my friends and I, I was eight at the time, and we we did cross the river with oh, wow. sticks to help us get across. And I do remember feeling it tugging on on my legs and feeling like it was a very big accomplishment to have made it across this river. And, you know, maybe my parents remember it differently and will say that, oh, you weren't in any real, I mean, but I was obviously in danger. I could swim, but it's a natural body of water. Right. And uh, there were a lot of things that I did as a kid that were slightly risky. I think a lot of kids have those things. Even climbing a tree can be risky. Sure. I think it was a combination of those two things more than anything that that river crossing and also just the secretiveness that can exist between sisters. And I actually also relate a lot with Phoebe because my younger sister loved her to death, but she, um, I did feel like she was the favorite for a long time. And I kind of, you know, still have some of those feelings, even though my parents say, Oh, we love you the same, but she was always less, um, she was always less trouble for them. I think than I was, I was a child who, and who required a lot of parenting. <laughs> I was going to say, you were probably high maintenance. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe that was it. <laughs> high maintenance. Yeah. High maintenance. <laughs> so I forgot to check. Are you from Montana? I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Bozeman, Montana, just outside Bozeman, Montana. So I am from there. I'm also Cuban. So I kind of, and I'm Norwegian. So I did take from kind of all those identities to, to make this family and story. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. What a cool mix. So you didn't probably have to do a ton of research because you're like, well, I know what Montana looks like. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. The research that I did was actually centered on the loss aspect of the book. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I did have a friend who has faced very close she's a mother who lost a child and she was gracious enough to read the book for me and point out, you know, whether things were felt true to her or didn't feel true to her. And I'm so thankful for that because I have not lost a child and my sister is still with me. She did go through a really challenging time that I feel fed into the emotional arc of the story but she ended up surviving it and and she's doing well now. 
But um, so, yeah, my research was definitely centered around that and also on the Chippewa Cree character who I had a Chippewa Cree friend help me with with that aspect of the book. So those kind of were the two things that I focused my research on. Yeah. And I just really don't think like I could be completely out of the loop on this, but I, I read a lot of middle grade Mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of books that are set like in that part of the United States, you know, just really in a, in a rural Western area, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important. I agree that I don't see that a lot. And definitely the setting was it was big for me you know I wanted to bring readers to Montana I really did and you did and I really felt like I'm it glad. yeah <laughs> yeah so I that was really important to me and I just kind of drew on the memories of growing up for that but I also did not see a ton of that actually what's funny is that when I first started writing the book it was actually I really first started writing it when I was 12 but it was just a little tiny story written by hand and um, a girl loses her sister in the ocean. Okay. And I made my sister read it. And she was like, what is this? She's like, thanks a lot. (laughs) And I was like, well, it would be my worst nightmare because I always felt like her protector in a way. And she was not as cautious about everything. So my anxiety made me very cautious growing up. And I've always been hyper aware of all the dangers everywhere. And she was less aware. So it was kind of based off of that fear. But it was set at the ocean because we happened to be visiting the California coast. And there was a sign about, you know, no swimming, there's riptides. And that's when I got the idea. So, but I wrote the first full draft for my thesis in college and it was at first set on the coast and I was like okay I need to go to Oregon or California and like live there for a while and then I was you know 20 and 21 or whatever and broke and I was like that's not gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) so I changed the location and I'm really glad that I did because I really feel that setting is something that you have to kind of know pretty intimately in order to write about, even though it can be done if you don't. I just, yeah. for me, I don't want to write about some place that I have not spent a significant amount of time in. It's just easier, I think. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Like right now, I'm writing about Alaska because that's where I live now. But when I first moved here, I was like, I can't write about Alaska yet. I just moved here. Uh but now I've lived here as my fifth year. So I feel more confident in that. Oh, wow. We should talk about that. That must be awesome. <laughs> it is. You're just, you're just up there on the other side of Canada. <laughs> I know. I know. I do love it up here. When we, uh, we, we have a geography class and, mm-hmm. and bookish and one of the girls from Canada, I asked her, I go, where is the United States compared to your country? And she's like, all sassy. North and South. Oh, she's so right. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, you win this round. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That's so funny. So in a way, the other thing I wanted to mention is that this is kind of a found family story because although Phoebe has trouble with her own nuclear family, mm-hmm. she does have people around her to turn to. And, you know, 
I think adults reading this will not blame her parents for like just freaking out and shutting down because how, you know, how, how would you react? How do you, you don't even know. Um, yeah. And I have heard, so in my research of parents who lost one child and had such a hard time focusing, you know, for some parents, it's, it's different for everybody. Grief is different for everybody, but for some parents, the work and the heaviness of grief was so difficult that they couldn't be the parent to their surviving children that they had been before. And so, you know, that's kind of how I felt like her family responded to it. But the found family thing is interesting. And it kind of ties back into something you mentioned earlier about how there are multiple things going on with Phoebe. Um, So when I was 10, my dad got sick with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he basically had to go to a hospital in another state because at the time Montana did not have the resources to care for somebody with, with cancer like that. Sure. And um, my mom left also. So my sister and I, at first, we just went from house to house in the community where we lived. And we were, yeah, I think nine, almost 10. And, um, seven, almost eight or something like that, about the same age as the characters in this story. And until my grandparents came down and were able to live with us and basically be our parents for that year, we really were in the hands of this community that that my parents had built. And so that's kind of the inspiration um, for Phoebe's experience. But also, I was also facing a little bit of bullying myself at that time, as my dad was going through cancer, as, you know, um, I was living not with my parents. I mean, my mom came and visited, visited. She came and Right. But it's like visiting at that point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I remember literally just opening a yearbook because she was a teacher and opening a yearbook, looking at her picture and just crying because I just wanted her to come back. Um, And that was for about a year. So there's just, you just never know uh, what's going on in a kid's life. And when a community can really step in for that child, it can make a huge difference. I have good memories of those homes that I stayed in and those people that I stayed with. So, yeah. And, you know, it just, it comes back to, you know, when people say, oh, I don't, I don't want to give my kid a sad book, but, you know, if, if it's in a book, someone's lived it or something really like it. And wouldn't it be better for kids to experience that secondhand first before they're thrown in their own crisis? Because yeah. eventually something bad is going to happen. And sadly enough, a lot of kids are experiencing that right now because of COVID. Um, yeah. I, I have a friend who just got done. I hope she won't be mad if I mention this like little snippet but she teaches young kids music lessons and they were talking about being very sad because of all these family members who had recently passed away and these were like six seven-year-old children um so right now I feel like even if people haven't directly lost someone they know somebody who has lost somebody they feel the grief of missing a year of school and their friends it's just been a hard couple of years and this book is kind of reflective of that in a way in a way yeah it is yeah i think it's almost the perfect time and i mean you know in a weird way i was thinking i 
this, I don't know, this sounds really weird, but <laughs> I almost hope that kids read this and cry. I feel like a lot of kids just need to have a good cry. Yeah. You know, yeah. just yeah. There's nothing just, like a book cry too. There is nothing like a book cry. <laughs> and I feel like they don't, they don't get that anymore. I mean, I can hardly, uh, it's probably less than five books I can think of that would be sad enough to make somebody cry. I mean, there's like, mm-hmm. you know, you may not like something you might be mad at a character, but like, I'm trying to think like everything I can think of is like pretty old now. Like I'm thinking yeah. like bridge to Terabithia, right? you know, but like yeah. kids aren't reading that really now, you know, yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing like that. And there's a reason why you remember reading those kind of books, mm-hmm. you know, like, Gotcha. I really remembered that one and bridge to Terabithia and roll of thunder. Hear my cry. Yeah. These books where there are some really serious, heavy issues. Those were the ones that I liked the most because that was just the type of reader that I was. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I liked sad and I liked scary because yeah. I thought like, if I could read it, then I'd be like hyper vigilant for like, like, okay, well, if you know, if Bigfoot comes out of that forest, I know what to do and I know what not to do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I am on it. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Um, So what books are you reading lately? Like to plug everybody else. Yeah, I am. I'm so bad at remembering this, but I will look around because I'm always reading. I know me too. And I even have a little journal, actually. So <laughs> just That's so that smart. Out. That's what I should do. <laughs> you know, I, I use Goodreads, but I don't keep up with it. And then I go on there and I yeah. get mad because I'm yeah. all like, that's not accurate. Find things in there. Yeah, that so, too. Let's see. I read Like a Love Song by Gabriella Martins. That's a YA that I really enjoyed. These are all older, but I read Alone by Megan Freeman, which I loved. Uh, I also loved those kids having to survive on their own stories. When yeah, I was me little. too. So yeah. her book really fit right into that. Firekeeper's Daughter, loved that one by Angeline Booley, I think is how you say her name. Um, let's see. Everywhere Blue by Joanne Rossmassler Fritz. That one was really good. Lies Like Wildfire by Jennifer Lynn Alvarez. I just got that. That one's good. That's a page turner. Yeah, like I'm, I'm looking forward one. to that one. <laughs> yeah, that one's a major page turner. And then I've just been reading some adult books. Um, the Other Black Girl by Zakiah Delilah Harris. Local Woman, Local Woman Missing by Mary Kubica. So, yeah. Yeah, um, those are all great ones I can well see so I just got I haven't read these because I just got them in the mail I've got the ghost of midnight lake by Lucy Strange I have not heard of that one and it just came out the 20 well that's is today the 21st no yesterday yeah yesterday (laughs) yesterday it looks really scary because it's Mm -hmm. got a ghost above a lake so you know that's good yeah, that's good. It says family secrets and a ghost girl in a forbidding manor house. I'm all like, yes, perfect. It's like perfect, perfect for Halloween time, too, because <laughs> it just started getting cold in Chicago. So I'm like, perfect. Oh, my gosh. It snowed yesterday where I live. Oh, my gosh. Well, you are in Alaska. 
Yeah, it melted, which I'm glad about. And we still have some pretty foliage, but it's supposed to snow again. <laughs> so, yeah, I know that, you know, with, with climate change, it's hard to say, but like, how long is winter? <laughs> it is pretty long. Um, I would say it depends on the year, but it starts in late September or early to mid-October. And then it basically lasts until late April, early May. Oh, yeah. Um, and I am actually grateful. I mean, it's been a very rainy and cold summer. And a couple of years ago, we had some really bad fires and kind of extremely hot, dry weather. And so I've been thankful this year that it's been like this. But in Montana, for example, it's still very hot there. I've been kind of looking at the temperatures in the Bozeman area and it's startling because I feel that winter and fall used to come at the same time in Montana. And now yeah. it's just like still in the seventies and eighties down there when fall used to come when I lived there 10 years. Yeah. Ago, used to come in late August, early September. So, but yeah, that one also has, they, they used to have long winters. I don't know really how long they are now, but Alaska's winters are very long and they're dark. We have yeah. a lot of darkness. Oh, so I guess that's a lot of writing time or do you feel like really cooped up? <laughs> you know, before the pandemic and I, I had a young child at home, that was a little difficult. And then he went to school and I, it was less difficult. And then the pandemic hit and it was difficult again. Yes. Not really just because he was home all the time, but because we were dealing with something so kind of unreal yeah. and yet so very real at the same time. And now that he's in kindergarten, I think it's going to be good because I'll have my time to write and the darkness really just makes you want to go to bed early. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what I was going to say. <laughs> like really it gets dark by four in the. Oh, in that is the early. Yeah. It, it starts like the sun starts setting and then the sun doesn't rise until about 10 the next day. So it's, it's interesting. But you do have more opportunity to see the northern lights and, you know, there's snow yeah. and there's fun things to do. And then when the light comes back, it's almost like a euphoric time. <laughs> <laughs> then you guys are just outside all the time. Oh, my gosh. By the time spring comes, I swear everybody in Alaska is just outside 24-7. And in the summer, I love the extended day. Like, I will stay up until midnight, 1 in the morning, because it's still light outside. It yeah. feels like, feels like you know, an evening time, and you just get so much done. So, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, that's not a bad balance, you know? It's, it's like... Yeah. It's not, it doesn't come, you know, in the same day, but you do get kind of that hyper energy time. And then you get the time where you kind of slow down. And, and that's when a lot of Alaskans spend time with friends yeah. and do things indoors, which was hard last, you know, last winter. Because yeah. Cause you couldn't. Yeah. Right. But this winter, you know, I'm, my friends and I are going to safely gather. So those are the, those are the types of things that really make winter fun and, and worth it. Cause in the summer, a lot of us are camping or people are fishing and, you know, away. Visiting or gold people. mining. That's what I keep yeah. hearing. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, guys all have your buckets of gold up there. I don't personally know any <laughs> gold miners, but I know that they exist. That's a thing that goes yeah, on. <laughs> it is. Yes. 
Oh, but there's gosh. just those summer traditions too, like blueberry picking in the mountains and um, the Alaska State Fair, which didn't happen last year because of COVID, but it did happen this year. It was fun. But yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I feel like that's like the last part of like non-suburbanized America. But that's mm-hmm. me having not been there. So I could be completely wrong. Maybe I'll get there and there is a subway every three blocks. There I don't know. <laughs> but there's a lot. It's it's not what you would probably expect. There's a lot of, um, I don't even know how to describe it. There's a lot of trash everywhere, weirdly. Like people oh, okay. dump their cars in the forest and just leave them there. That's something I did not expect at all. Um yeah. A lot of interesting buildings because there's a lot of places where there aren't any building codes. <laughs> so people just kind of build random. Oh, so like if your house falls on you and you built it, that's like on you. It's on like you. that whole like being free. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then there are like more suburban places and neighborhoods where you, yeah. have to, you know, follow rules and stuff. But but yeah. It's ah, fun. <laughs> that's so interesting. It's on my wish list. Places to go. Yes. Places to go. But yeah. I bet you can probably, I bet it's like your your Scandinavian heritage like gets you through those <laughs> winters because. I know. Yeah. I, that it sounds pretty nice to me because I just, mm-hmm. if as long as I have a warm house, I'm good. <laughs> warm house and a good book, right? Yeah. Hot drink of some sort. Exactly. And then yeah, I, it's, I'm good. I think that before I had a child, it would have been like fantastic. I lived in a lot of hot places between Montana and Alaska where I really missed winter. But when you have like a three-year-old and it takes like an hour to get their snow clothes on and then you get outside and they decide they hate snow and you come back inside. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're like, when are we leaving again? And you say, never. (laughs) <laughs> but now my my son is old enough to like put on his own snow clothes and he loves the snow and so it's very yeah. fun and and yeah oh that's awesome yeah. well gosh thanks so much for coming on and and talking to me about your very sad book thank you for having <laughs> me I I feel so bad honestly when people write on you know a review website like oh it made me cry and I'm like I'm sorry <laughs> I know you're like sorry not sorry it worked yeah right yeah I think there's a place yeah. for that I really truly do I think it's okay yeah. it's okay if you're sad yeah I agree but it is it has been a little hard because I actually do read all of my reviews Oh. And so I do, I don't engage obviously, but I read them and, and some of them have really good points. And I do think like, okay, next book, you know, I'm going to think about this aspect of, you know, a story or a character, but a lot of people are just, you know, it's too sad. So it's kind of nice to hear someone say, yes, it is sad. And for that's what makes it great. Okay. I mean, yeah. It's, I think it's way harder to write a good, sad book. Well, and I had a lot of help. This is where I really shout out my literary agent, Danielle Chiotti, because she had me rewrite it several times. And it's and my my editor, Lisa, at Shadow Mountain. But Danielle and Lisa really helped make it the book that it is today. <laughs> it was See, that's yeah. why you, you call in the, the <laughs> professionals, right? Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's so awesome. All right. Thank you again so much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope we talk again soon. Yeah. Fingers crossed. 
That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at bookish underscore society and on Twitter at bookish society. And of course, on our website, thebookishsociety.com. Thanks again to Chris Rieger for his audio engineering magic. 